Alright, of course. So do this. Just a clap. Three, two, two one. <laughs> wow. Seriously, I mean, like I texted Brendan earlier, I said, you know, I don't know if this is the greatest movie tie-in song of all time, but like Sunflower is like probably top five for me, like favorite, like Seal Kiss from a Rose from Batman Forever is pretty freaking high up there. I forget that that was for Batman Forever. Oh, me too, until you see the music video and then you're like, oh... Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's another excellent episode here in season three. Uh, I don't know if I want to call this a true part two, even though it is, like, because we are wrapping up our Spider-Man spectacular event with uh, one that Brendan just really, really loved, and I think we could fill a whole episode with gushing about this one. So, Brendan is going to talk about Spider-Man into the Spider Verse. Okay. I imagine you saw this in theaters. <laughs> oh, you didn't see it in theaters? You know. I think I did. I just don't remember. Don't remember. Yeah, I don't know why I don't remember. So I thought I, I did though. I loved it in theaters, and so this is. So I remember that year seeing this one, and and I watched Mission Impossible Fallout over Whoa. and over. I saw Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. I think three, maybe four times in theaters. The best. So that was my clear favorite of the year. And then I rewatched Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, and then I rewatched it again. And then I rewatched it again and again and again and again and again. Yes. And and then my kids discovered it and we watched it again and again and again. Oh. So do you have physical copies of this one? I do. Okay. So it's on streaming, but I have got this on 4K because you get a better 4K picture from disc. <laughs> and. <sighs> oh, this is always good. When as I don't I, know what to say. <laughs> As I said in the last movie, Spider-Man 2 is probably the reason I'm into film the way I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, top 10 easy, um, and I think this movie supplants it. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse... Okay, look, there's there's no such thing as a perfect movie. So I, I do... Let's, mm-hmm. let's just get out of the way all my nitpicks of this movie. Yeah. Because then, then I can dive in. So... Unlike most animated features, they have perspective shifts. They they actually change the focus in this one yeah. quite often, and it works very effectively. There's a shot early on when when Miles's dad is taking him to school, and they're focused on a TV screen showing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and two people in the foreground cross in front of the screen, and they're out of focus. And I find it fairly distracting. Um, <laughs> And that is the only nitpick I have for the entire movie. Aside from that one shot, the movie's perfect. Uh, Oh, perfect. What a great way to start. (laughs) Okay. 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 Oh, and and I should state watching it last night that that I think I may be be wrong about that shot. (laughs) That's growing on me. Um, Shot's growing on you. Okay. Okay. The year is 2003 and Arrested Development is airing on Fox. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> Man, we're going back. Arrested Development, right? Mm-hmm. Shocking how much that show folds in on itself, where every joke is layered with with a callback forward and backwards in the story. Yeah. Um, every moment of that show is foreshadowing mm-hmm. and referencing and acting in its own right. The writing in that show, it's stunning. 
Yeah. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, in my mind, does the same thing with themes. Every moment yeah. of this movie's theme points forward and backwards and also works like gangbusters in the moment. This movie this movie is a miracle of writing. Mhm. It I don't know another movie that hits the laughs so hard and so fast and the feels so hard and so fast. <laughs> and none of them none of them compromise each other. I am What's in that? awe of this movie. I'm in awe of this movie. I I like it more every time I see it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where to start. Uh, I, 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 well, I, well, I think you're, okay, you're on to a great start. Look. Yeah, I mean, Rare is the movie that is this expertly crafted. Like I told you before the show, from top to bottom, the writing, cinematography, performances, modeling, backgrounds, music. I'm, oh, my gosh, the music. This is an expert example of every department doing exactly what that department needs to do to the best of their ability. That's my supervisor yes. hat for the day. I'll take it off now. But yes. it's just like that idea that, like, even... I think I think sometimes people look at Hollywood and the, and you know there's the above the line folks the director, uh, the actors and the actresses maybe the writer maybe if you're Aaron Sorkin you're a household name but 95 96% of all writers are not household names um, and then you have the below the line folks which is literally everybody else and this is that example of every department doing the best they can with the responsibilities that they're assigned. And like, that's, that was exactly how I summarized. Like that's the first thing I wrote when I finished watching it again. And and so this is also a great example. A lot of people assume that the more cooks you have in the kitchen, the Mm -hmm. worse the movie is. And most of the time they're right. This movie has a lot of cooks in its kitchen. There are a lot of writers. A lot of people took the leadership position. Um, there's a lot, I mean, it was very round-tabled, but the difference here is, and this is what I think is so important, is every cook in that kitchen was a master cook that was extremely excited about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. When you're creating through committee, usually there's a soulless aspect to that. But if you have a committee whose soul is just engaged with the material, you get a beautiful thing. So, Okay, this movie... This movie makes me laugh and cry more effectively and quickly than any other movie in existence. Uh, I think this movie is inspiring, both as a lover of film and as a human being that wants to be a better person. Nice. So I guess let's just start at the beginning. Yeah. Let's start right at the beginning. The production companies and Columbia and all of those things. Like usually people start glossing over those things or, you know, like you can be a little late to a movie because you're going to skip like what used to be just two or three. Now it's like 10, 11 production companies. You see that a lot with the, um, uh, the direct DVD red box ones with like Bruce Willis for five minutes, like where it's like 10 to 12 companies and you're like, Holy crap. Like how many of these do I have to go through? But they had fun with every single protocol that they went through. Right. Every single one. So these, this thing didn't have 10. It had effectively 150. Because each of those Ooh. 10 had 15 as they're flashing on the screen. That's Expertly right. yeah, designed yeah. logos from alternate universes. Mm-hmm. And That's they right. all look great. <laughs> and then, this is a small thing, but I adore this. Uh-huh. The first shot of the movie is of the Comic Code's authority signing off on the movie. Yes. <laughs> and so that what this adorable. does... What this does is it 
it is a calling card to everybody in the movie theater who knows what it is suddenly realizes this movie was made for me and it may be the only movie ever who has so thoroughly been made for the comic fan there yeah. are more comic book movies than ever before we have the mm -hmm. MCU running rampant I love it we have DC uh -huh. Comics doing their best <laughs> their movies are coming out left and right but this movie looks the audience in the eye and said you want a comic book movie we made you a comic book movie this is, mm -hmm. this is not a movie based on a comic book. This is a comic book movie, and I would argue it's the only one ever made. Wow. It's well stunning. Said. Then yes, the next thing. The next thing is the number 42. <laughs> so right out of the uh, gate, right out of the gate, we know that this movie is going to be a love letter to comic books and mm -hmm. embrace the absurd chaos with a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. And as this is happening, there's this steady beat. Boom, boom, boom. This heartbeat building up. And the first lines of the movie is, let's do this one more time. And mm -hmm. we go through Spider-Man's origin story. And they know one we know it. One more time. <laughs> one more time. The first line of the movie is like, I'm Spider-Man. Let's do this. And it, it knows we've seen three spider-man origin stories in film in the last decade and a half mm -hmm. it's not it, it and it's it it gives us an origin story in about 20 seconds that is what we know and the mm -hmm. twist of it is and, and i love this i love that we effectively get that this is the the sam raimi universe this is a variation of the Sam Raimi universe, right? This yes. is a multiverse. It's not the Sam Raimi universe. It's a variation of it. It is a parallel universe to it. Yeah. Uh, Effectively, the Tobey Maguire moments, like including the dance, right. which we don't talk about. But all just vary, just a little bit. Yep. A so-so -so popsicle. Get, <laughs> you get uh, Chris Pine is a perfect Peter Parker in mm -hmm. voice. I would never cast him in person, but his yeah. voice... Just, it, it, it's nothing against him. I just don't think it's the right casting in person. But his yeah. voice just... It oozes the mid-20s, confident, successful, responsible Peter Parker that we've always dreamed of having from the comics. And... Uh, it just... It's, it knows what it's doing, and it does it with such unbelievable confidence. Did you notice uh, that moment when Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility? I swear that's from the first one with Toby. I swear it's the same voice and everything. I'd have to go look. Yeah. Because that's the only time in the movie they say it in full. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Which we'll get to okay. later. <laughs> All right. So we get that right out of the gate. Right? And you just, you know, like, it, the movie tells you in 20, 30 seconds, this is Spider-Man. It's not mm -hmm. the world you know, but it's a world that's in good hands. Right, you know this is a Spider-Man at the height of his success, which, again, we've never seen in a movie. Every Spider-Man movie has been a Spider-Man who's been crawling up from the bottom. We've never seen a Spider-Man who is good at what he does. Yes. And this movie tells you right out of the gate, this is what we have. And we cut immediately to... now the, Yeah, we cut, we cut immediately to Miles singing... Uh, Sunflower. 
Sunflower, right. Basically, about as effectively as we are were at the beginning of this episode. He doesn't know the words, and he's late for school. Okay. I, I wrote down in my notes, I'm taking notes. Mm -hmm. This is one of the funniest jokes in a movie ever. And I wrote that like four times. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what was so the first one for? The first moment is his dad taking him to school. Where, yes. uh, particularly when he's dropping him off. But we get so much exposition through that scene without mm -hmm. it ever being obnoxiously expository. We know him and his dad's relationship. We know the conflict of him being in this new school. We know he misses yes. his friends. We know he's a teenager and he really likes the girls. We, we know that he's extremely intelligent. And, and, and the thing I love the most is we know who his dad is too. And I adore Miles's family. I aspire to be Miles's family. Through the course of this movie, you get to know the dad and the mom. We'll talk more about that later. But it's just, I, I think they're perfect. I think they're perfect yeah, in their imperfection. Yeah, I love the way that his dad was like, you know, with great accountability. And he's just like, that's not the line. Like, very subtly like that. And that great dick to me between yeah. the old school, where as they're going by, everybody knows him. He, everyone's miss, everyone's misses him. He's like, oh, you're missing me? But then he gets to the new school, and then nobody knows him. And the jokes don't work. And he's already being made fun yeah. of for the, that's a copy. Like, all that stuff. Like, that dick to me happened so fast between, like, him going or passing by the old school where, you know, people aren't in uniforms and they're having fun on the basketball mm -hmm. courts in the new school where it's just like hallways instantly and like classes right. and whatnot. It's immediately taking him out of his familiarity into an unfamiliar space. And it does it so expertly. Right. And we can see in his dad that his dad is hard on him and is pressing him to expand himself into this new environment that's tough for him. The dad is hard on him, but you also know that the dad really loves this kid. Mm -hmm. and, and you That's know it because of that embarrassing scene where he requires him to say, I love you, dad, to him in a police <laughs> car in front of his school. That joke, <laughs> I know it was in the trailer. I laugh in the trailer. I laugh every time I see it. It's, it's perfect. It's so funny. And it's so real. And it's so touching at the same time. Mm-hmm. One of the things I respect about Miles as a character is you know he hates the school. But the first thing he does is he goes in and he tries to be friendly and talk to everybody. You can tell he's trying to make friends, even though he's not happy about it. He's showing up, making the jokes. I, mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, and the, I, I love that introduction to Gwen, too, where she's the only one laughing. She's like, right. sorry, it's just so quiet. Like, awesome. But one of, our, one of the places where the story is pointing forward and backwards... He's telling a joke about time being relative, and Gwyn is laughing at it because she knows she just time-traveled into the past about a day earlier. Mm-hmm. That's right. The movie does not call attention to it. It just confidently sets up plot beats that will pay off later. Yes. But. So true. At the get-go, right? We have mm -hmm. him going from class to class. He's making jokes about relativity. He's flirting with girls very poorly. But we get the teacher laying out this theme that he's going to be following. Like, what kind of person do you want to be? You've got mm -hmm. to write your essay. And you know he's reading Great Expectations. And he's... Like, every moment... And you're also getting expositions where you're discovering... You're meeting Liv... Uh, Octavia... Uh, Olivia... Oc Olivia Doc Ock. Yeah. Her character's in the background. 
basically dumping out the background of the whole movie in a way that you're barely paying attention to. But we... <sighs> Miles is asked, what kind of person are you going to be? And the first thing he does is he runs out to meet his uncle because he can't deal with it himself. Mm -hmm. It stresses him out. The idea of deciding who he's going to be is too much for him to do on his own. And he needs somebody to help him to figure this out on his... Because he can't do it by himself. Because he's a teenager and teenagers are stupid. Because that's what we all were. Mm-hmm. Ah. Ah. Mm. <laughs> and so, okay. So he gets to his uncle, who... We have these hints from that cop car that his uncle has made some bad choices in life. But it looks like he's put things together at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And he can see in his nephew that he's troubled. And his solution is to let Miles pour out his creative energy. Yeah. Right? He's, he's allowing Miles to, to express himself in an element of creativity. And it's like, you can see these parallels between his dad and his uncle, these brothers, where they're both supporting Miles in the way he needs to be, but differently. And I love that. I just, I love that. Yeah, I love the dialogue that he has with his but, uncle, especially about uh, the, just, uh, the girl. Like, uh, oh, what's her name? He could have said anything. He could have been like, oh, uh, I didn't get it or whatever. But they went with, you yeah, know, I'm just laying down the groundwork, like constantly trying to be cool in front of the man that he like respects right. the most. Right. And there's an element you can see in his uncle where you know, right, and especially in rewatching, where you know who is, his uncle is, made, is still making bad choices. Mm -hmm. But there's this, he's trying to get Miles' confidence to not do the things that he has done. Yeah. There's this element that he is trying to empower his nephew to be better than he is. And I love it. Mm -hmm. And but little things like he takes him down into this this shaft to 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 put up his 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 art mm -hmm. and we get moments where miles can't make it over the fence because he's really very bad at any form of <laughs> acrobatics yep very true he's not a natural talent at this and i and i like that those little things <sighs> mm-hmm uh, yeah. Little touches no, where just, they lay I, down the groundwork to say, like, he's not good at this thing, but don't worry, he will be very soon. Like, you all know where this is going, especially the spider and how when the spider bit him, like, it was his whole, like, thing. And he just, like, pat, flick, like, away right. it goes, you know? Right. Which, again, is tying back to that, let's do this one more time. This kid yeah. is getting bit by a spider. We've seen this happen. It keeps happening. And the movie builds the crescendo. And then you get this really hilarious fart of a release he slaps the spider and yep. he goes back to school yeah no big deal <laughs> it's great it's great the uh the the power scene which we get in every spider-man origin story where he's discovering his powers i don't know any scene that captures more perfectly the internal monologue of a teenage boy yeah. Maybe I'm just revealing oh that gosh. I don't know any scene that captures my internal monologue as a teenage boy. But the 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 vacillation of trying really hard to figure out what other people are thinking of you, trying to figure out how you're appearing to other people, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, the lack of confidence and the false confidence and this back and forth. It's it's great and it's spectacularly funny and. <clears throat> 
it's yeah. yeah. I mean, and all those justifications too that he's just going through puberty. The fact that they would even bring that up, and she's like, I don't even think you know what that is. Right. And you know, the whole everyone know. Like, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie was "Play dumb." Who? No, not that dumb. Like that whole thing. Like, oh, there's so many great comedic moments. Like, the second point I wrote so in my in my uh, notebook that this is one of the funniest jokes in the film history. Play dumb, <laughs> not that dumb. It's so good. <laughs> but but little things too in there. Gwyn immediately knows what's going on, and the movie doesn't make a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 excuse me. Gwanda immediately knows what's going Gwanda, on, and the movie yes. doesn't make a big deal. But I love that, because right as our protagonist is having this crisis of confidence, you get to see this little internal light in the other person, because she's having this lack of confidence. Like, they're breaking down together... And she regains her confidence precisely at the moment where Miles is just goes off a cliff. It's great. Yes, it's it great. Is. The it's parallel so to the comic book, uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I so I I paused on this. So he's looking at the comic book, keep sticking, keep sticking, and mm-hmm. right. And so on the back of that comic book, there's an advertisement for selling, I think, book pamphlets. And I paused, and on my 4K TV got really close. That is a legitimate advertisement that they wrote. All there is no dummy text in there. There's no scribbles, and that entire thing is written in universe to sell pamphlets. That's amazing. The That's, level of oh. detail in this film. Yeah. There's there's no sly jokes in it. That'd be a place to dump dumb. Ex- but it's it's earnest, fully written out ad. Um, well, it's the same way when they all, all right. start coming into so, the universe and you see the posters and, and Times Square, you start seeing all of those. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's even like a, a Seth, uh, Seth Green, Seth Rogen. There, Seth Rogen. There's a Seth. Yeah, there's even yeah. like a Seth Rogen movie poster, and you're like, yeah, that that seems plausible. It seems like he'd do something just like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Coca soda with a K. I mean, it, the, <laughs> the universes themselves are extremely clever. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so. All of this is coming down to finally getting the Peter Parker, Miles Morales meet. I think that, I don't know. The sequence with Peter, I guess, regular Peter Parker, as he meets Miles, is one of my favorite scenes in film history. I think it tells you so much about characters so quickly. Uh, I find Peter Parker's caring in this moment so deeply inspiring. Mm-hmm. Meeting this kid who is scared, who does not want the power he's been given. He's He's been given the quest that he would like to reject. And this adult, at the height of his power, looking at him and saying, I don't think you have a choice, kid, but I'll be right back and we'll figure it out together. Yeah. I love it. It's yeah. so good. It's definitely, you know, it, it. this movie continues to give you expectation after expectation after expectation, and every single time it undermines it, it seems. Exactly. It, it, and so here's the thing. So we, so his, let's do this one more time at the beginning. He talks about how much he loves being Spider-Man. And so in this sequence, though, as he's fighting, he's really good at it. And there's this moment where, where he's trapped under the collider spinning above him. And he just says... I'm so tired. (laughs) And it's this, so yes, he loves being Spider-Man, but he's so tired. He's doing this not because he loves it. He's doing it because he needs to. 
Yeah. And that's... I, I love how this movie is written. Because you know these characters so well without them ever having to just tell you anything about them. Um, you know, and even more to your point about this being and, a comic and, book and, and all those different things, like, you can really see it with Kingpin. Because when Kingpin shows up onto the right. scene, like, he is comically ginormous. Like, in the 90s Spider-Man, like, large. some, I think I posted this in the show notes from the last episode, but there's this uh, meme that somebody made where they re-edited all Kingpin's lines where his origin story is nothing about, it's only about him, like, and his weight and nothing to be about him being, like, the son of a mobster and trying to rise above and being a computer hacker and all those things. It's just about his weight. And then here's this movie where, like, yeah, the Kingpin is this impossibly large, probably, like, 9 foot 10, 800 pound whale mm-hmm. that will kill you instantly he's six feet wide in his shoulders yeah at least (laughs) sorry yeah right oh my goodness he's and you know what he's scary Mm mm-hmm i I mean yeah just comes in clicking his pen okay little aside here they activate the machine right Mm mm-hmm the Kirby Crackle. Are you familiar with the term Kirby Crackle? I am not. Jack Kirby, in a lot of ways, the father of... I think Stan Lee gets more credit than he deserves. Jack Lee, Jack Kirby deserves more credit than he gets. Jack Kirby really invented the cosmic comic book storytelling. He's hmm. the guy that, that... He co-created a lot of the characters with, with Stan Lee. Um, but he also is the one who took it out into space and made it crazy. And mm. one of the ways he showed unbelievable cosmic power, like transcendent power, is he did thousands of little overlapping circles. And that's called in comic book lore, Kirby Crackle. And it's never been in a movie as far as I know. And this huh. movie is filled with it. And it's, it's, it's uh, one of those things like having the comic code authority at the beginning of the movie. It's screaming to the audience we know what we're doing. Even if you don't know what we're doing. <laughs> this is for you. Oh, right. Shoot. It's, it's gorgeous. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so Peter tries to stop it. He's, he's lying there. We get him pulling the mask off. Oh, that's a no, no, which we will hear the other Peter Parker echo later in the movie. When Liv takes off his mm-hmm. mask, that's a no, no. But as he's telling miles what to do, He's saying, I'm, there's the intentionality is going to be back to help, but there's also this very implicit recognition that he might not be. It seems like he's telling this kid, I'm sorry, I might not make it through this. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't. Right. And then we go back to Miles' family. And, and, and you get this moment with his mom and dad. And you're going to get a little bit of my parenting philosophy here because I think his mom and dad represent the best of parenting out there. It's this dad who wants to push his son to be more. And this mom that recognizes that's not what he needs right now. He needs to know we have his back and love him. And this push and pull between the two of them where they both respect each other but they recognize that the other person is adding something to this parenting role... I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. The, the mom realizes what his son need, her son needs is a hug and a place that is safe. And dad can push him to be strong yes. tomorrow. Now it's mom's time to take care of this kid. I, I think it's it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. They're... Yeah. Okay. The Spider-Man has died sequence. I have not... I've watched this movie probably 12 times by now. And when I say that, I mean I've probably sat and watched it 12 times because my kids turn it on and I can't not sit and watch it. Sure. And so 12 times, this sequence comes up and I just cry because it is so profoundly well done. The music swells in yeah. all the right ways. You get this feeling that the city has lost something. Something that inspired them and made them better. This scene destroys me. I think it's the best Stanley cameo he's ever done. Yes. Uh, just it, it it it's layered on itself so perfectly. Where he's telling this kid that it's always gonna fit, and then you get the joke that there's no returns, right? Yeah. So it, yep. It, <laughs> no returns or refunds. It fits eventually. I would argue, actually, that not only is it the most inspiring Stanley cameo, I think it's probably the closest thing to what Stanley is in real life. An inspiring character, car- person, who also liked to make some money. <laughs> so it's, I think it fits who he is. Yeah, and it feels like that's also like a callback to what comics are, too. Is like, you go to a comic book store, you can stand there and read comics all day long if you want and never have to buy anything. But when you do buy something, there's no returns or refunds. You're just going to enjoy the comic that you purchased. Um, right, but but right. in the yeah. in, and to the effect that sequence though, man, like for me, it's Mary Jane's speech because I feel like in my in my a- life exactly. and all the Spider Man oh, stuff that I've I've um, I've ingested and the series and I have all these comics and like to finally give Mary Jane a chance to shine as the person that she has been through Peter through literally every series I've ever read to finally have that moment where she's like we're all Spider Man. Uh, and then, like, Miles has that moment of, like, yeah, you know, they need me. And, she, and that guy's like, I think it's just a metaphor, like, not specific to you. Like, that whole thing, like, that is, like, kind of the um, the release. It's not so much, like, and I think I talked about this last episode about the Marvel thing where they can't let a serious moment sit. Mm-hmm. They have to end it with a joke. But, like, for some reason in this movie, anytime that occurred, it felt more like a release like a big deep breath. And yes. then, like, that's, like, the ha. Huh, like, that's the end sigh of, like, a big breath. Like, when they have those kinds of jokes yeah. I suppose as opposed to like uh, Doctor Strange's it doesn't take like the wind out away. of the sails yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. and I don't know what the difference is I have a hard time identifying what the difference is but I agree with you I don't feel like the humor is negating the the weight uh, and maybe it's because they embrace the weight of the moment more fully right so that Doctor Strange moment always felt a little bit conniving mm-hmm. and then it deflates the moment with a joke whereas this one this one's beating you up with this emotion here. Yeah, I think I would argue it's the same as my favorite Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, where you know they have that moment about giving a rip about something, and then uh, <laughs> you know uh, Rocket Raccoon is just like, "Here we are, standing around like a bunch of idiots." Like that whole thing. Like it's it's more that sure. of a release than it is to just like, "Oh, we need a joke to throw away the sequence or this throw away this scene that doesn't mean anything." Like, right. It's more to Miles' doubt about him and who he is and the whole great expectations thing, which is such a great theme throughout literally every scene in this film. Like, mm-hmm. it's just another one of those moments, I think. And it's not just, you know, the typical Marvel throwaway joke. So kudos to Sony for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that's, a, that's a very good point. Um, okay, so, so then he goes and he has his training montage, which, again, is a really funny sequence. 
I, I I don't know how many times it took me to realize there's two moments in the movie, one moment of him falling down with letters trailing behind him and one movie mo- moment of him flying up with letters flying behind him. Oh. It's so hard to talk about this movie without talking about both the beginning and end because they, they're so parallel each other and match up so often. But as he falls down from this building screaming, ah, as he's falling, and he lands on the ground... And you have the numbers 42 on either side of him. Again, the number from the beginning of the movie, reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and also the number of the spider that that bit him. So we're in hmm. universe 42. He's being bitten by this. Uh, okay. It, it just, it's all flowing. Yeah. Then we finally well, well, okay, get to Okay, so, so real quickly, like, with that sequence, with the training yeah, montage, please. you get another wonderful payoff, because, like, I feel like three or four times prior, you know, his shoe's untied, and then his shoe's untied again, oh, it's a choice, and then your shoes are untied, says Spider-Man, yes. these are onesies, I don't have to tie my shoes, and then it's literally him tripping over his shoes that made him fall. You know, like, there was a final, like, Absolutely. payoff with the shoes thing again, so I'm just like, I had to come back to the shoes, and I'm like, oh my god, and then I laughed so hard when he, like, went down the stairs and went up the stairs to another building, like, great sequence. Right. Just, yeah, had to get that in. It's great. Well, we'll tie into this in a second again. In a second, but Peter B. Parker, when they go and infiltrate the lab, takes his shoes off. Like he goes barefoot into the to the research oh. facility. It it's so good. Okay, so we so finally good. meet Peter B. Parker, and we let's do this one more time again, mm-hmm. and we find out that this Peter Parker, I think, if the timetable works out, the the first Peter Parker is about twenty six. This one's about thirty eight. Failed marriage to Mary Jane. He's got a bit of a gut. Not quite as responsible. And again, uh, the contrast. Again, the contrast. Like, in this movie, he handled it like a champ. Nope, he's crying in the shower. I was doing push-ups and ad crunches. Nope, he's laying down, eating pizza, and getting more fat. Like, like especially with pizza. this Spider-Man, they played with the contrast so much where what he is saying is almost, is rarely what he's doing. And that's the whole... Um, yes. Uh, what's that line he says? Uh, watch. You got to watch the mouth, not the hand. Or you got to watch the hands, not the mouth. Like that's the hands. so much his character right. built into one line that is paid off so much farther down the road. Right. Uh, so this is one of the things I like. If you actually pay attention to him throughout this movie, you're watching a Spider-Man. That and they're very clear. This is not where the 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 our universe's Peter Parker is going to end up. They're different. He is less responsible from the foundation. You see that throughout as he's looking in jealousy about how kind of more put together this Peter Parker is. Um, hmm. But at the same time, as you watch him, it's also clear that he's been doing this for fifteen years longer. He's yes. really good at being Spider-Man, yeah. so he's less <laughs> responsible. But in a lot of ways, his talent has grown beyond what the current Peter Parker's is. Yeah, the way and he what, swings is yeah. effortless. Yeah, and what I wrote down, too, is there's a great contrast with this new Spider-Man in the sense that not only is he a veteran, but he is too veteran. Uh, especially with, the, I mean, one of my yes. favorite lines in the whole movie is, what about the whole with great power, don't you dare finish that sentence line? Don't you oh, dare finish gosh. that sentence. Yes, and like the fact that he calls a MacGuffin a goober just so he didn't have to call it a MacGuffin. Uh, oh, these are pretty standard Spider-Man stakes. You know, 24 hours. He's going to say 24 hours. You got 24 hours. Like that whole With thing. With his like, hands. He's too veteran. He's over it. Yeah, and not only that, but... But? Think, yeah, but. Go ahead, go ahead. 
Go ahead. Go, no, no, please. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, with that particular sequence, like, with uh, Kingpin and um, it's not Otto Octavius, but Olivia Octavius, like, he has those moments where yeah. he just keeps, like, even though he's making fun of them and they're talking, he's going to say 24 hours, like, they're still dumping exposition, but you don't really notice. And that's, like, I, I, I think I might, right here in my right. notes, I wrote just, like, again, with the dumping of the exposition and you don't notice it, this is clearly a master class in screenwriting. It is. It's. It should be taught in film schools about how to write a script. I don't know any script that does a better job than this because it tells you everything you need to know. The movie's teaching you its world, and you don't mm-hmm. even know what's happening. You're just yeah. along for the ride, and you're finding you know this deep. You're getting to know the characters, the world, in this truly intimate way, in a way that takes other film franchises six movies to accomplish. Uh, yeah, and so, I mean, it's interesting you pointed that part out because I think I think to an extent you can kind of say because there are so many Spider-Man movies that they can get away with a lot of this stuff. But I think the things that they are relating with the exposition dumps are not necessarily things specific to Spider-Man. So like the multiverse stuff right. and 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 all the things below the city and, and and all these verses coming and all the things like that. Like they can get away with that a little bit because it's Spider-Man. But I think even like an original story would have the ability to do this as well. It's just the way that they craft around it that makes it so, ah, brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so now I want to take an aside on, on animation in general. I may have even mentioned this a couple seasons ago when I sat, stayed up till like 2 a.m. watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse by myself. But there's a moment where Liv is in her office and they're watching her from the grate. And I'm going to take another aside to explain this moment. So, Futurama. I've watched all of Futurama with the uh, commentary on. Have you seen any of those? No, I have not. Okay. Okay. So, there. do you remember the episode where they go to Roswell and Fry becomes their grandfather? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a, there's a moment in the diner where Leela is frustrated and she's twisting this salt shaker around absentmindedly, and she slams it down to punctuate her sentence. And Matt Groening in the uh, the commentary talks about how this is his favorite piece of animation that they've ever done. Because it's like, what? you're seeing into this character in this silly little action that she's doing. Right? It, it's, it, it's really, if you're paying attention to it, it's great. It's the silly throwaway action that you can see the frustration in Leela's being by her doing this silly thing with a salt shaker. There's this mm-hmm. moment with Liv that makes me think of that, where she's sitting down to show Kingpin what she's working on on her computer. And if you watch, she's sitting on a exercise ball. But she sits down on it by kicking the exercise ball away from her, bouncing it off of the leg of the table, and sitting on it without looking. And this little moment tells you so much about this character. You know exactly her kind of personality. She's a fitness freak. She's a little Mm -hmm. hyperactive. You probably don't want to piss her off because she's going to give you an earful. Uh, She takes her her self-care and her whatever it is in her being very seriously because she sits on this exercise ball every day and has done it for years to the point where she knows how to kick it away from her to bounce it under her without looking at it. (laughs) I think this is 
such a brilliant moment of animation that it took me again 12 times to notice which is so it's great because so in that later on in that moment when they do I wrote down in my notes, like, it's the little details with this movie because her because de- for all the things that you just said, her desktop is unbelievably disorganized. Uh, and, you know, there's that whole right. thing about, like, geniuses right. are disorganized and, you know, uh, Einstein's desk was always insanely messy. Uh, and then, like, there's, like, another little detail is the fact that it's Catherine Hahn who would later be like Agatha and like WandaVision. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was already right. written in her contract or anything like that. A lot that, of but Marvel just, like, crossover and yes, there's a lot of it, double Marvel roles. Haley Steinfeld playing Gwen, who's now in Hawkeye, and we've got uh, uh, Kingpin, who was Lee Schreiber, who was uh, um, was Wolverine's nemesis. Um, Um, Sabretooth. Right? It was Sabretooth. Sabretooth, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yes, it was Sabretooth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And now he's playing Kingpin. uh, His uncle, whose name I'm blanking, Marshall? Anyways, he's going to be late. Yeah, so. Well, that works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but but I think that's just it. Is 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 you're? I keep saying the same thing because it's just so true. But you're learning about these characters so beautifully and effortlessly. Um, mm-hmm. This whole sequence is fun. It's a. It, I, I another point where I wrote down how much I love the joke is that. All right, here's the good news: we don't need the monitor. That's a funny-ass joke that they set up Peter carrying a monitor that he doesn't need because he can't type in a password. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it took me until this viewing to recognize that Liv's design, she's got this beehive hairdo that makes her look like an actual octopus. I can't believe it took me this long to realize that she's got an inflated octopus head behind her. Great. Um, what? Yeah, did you notice that? She looks I exactly like an octopus that. head. Ah, oh, um, <laughs> The bagel setup. We're gonna do all these things, but he's very clear he's gonna get a bagel before he leaves. He finally gets his bagel. He needs to go faster to so hands Miles the bagel. Miles throws the bagel and it hits the guy in the head. And what is the splash text that comes off his head? And really tiny text in the distance. Did you ever notice that one? No, I did not. What was it? Bagel. <laughs> Just as it hits the guy in the head, the word bagel shouts out because that's the bagel sound. It's Amazing. Um, <laughs> you know what? Here's right, the thing. So, I bet you they spent so much time being yeah. like, okay, what's the, what, it, what would it be? Would it be a thonk? It wouldn't be a kapow. They're just like, what if we just wrote bagel? I, I bet you that's exactly what happened. I think you're right. And it's great. <laughs> the word bagel flies out when he gets hit with a bagel. So this sequence, I have watched more videos on YouTube than just about any other sequence in a movie. Have you followed the sequence, this uh, this this sequence of them swinging through the forest where they discuss uh, filming on the threes and twos? I, I mean, I, I whatever you're about to say, I'm sure I have not thought of it to the depth of which you have. <laughs> well, I've only thought about it because I've seen again so many videos. I don't know if we've talked about it. Okay, no, please so, go ahead. During this sequence and throughout the movie at various points, so basically you can animate on different frame rates, right? So there's, and I'm, I'm maybe getting this wrong because I'm not an expert in this at all, but if you're animating on the threes, it means there's a movement every three frames. If you're animating on the twos, there's a movement every two frames. As Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales are moving through this sequence, they are being animated at different frame rates. Oh. Peter Parker 
has a higher frame rate than Miles does, which without any effort is giving your eyes this notion that Peter is better at this. He's moving more fluidly, he's moving more elegantly, and Miles is bad at this. He's choppy, he's, he's more stuttery, right? So Miles is being animated at the traditional hand-illustrated animation frame rates, where Peter is being animated at the traditional CG animated frame rate. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it works like gangbusters. You can, and, and here's the thing, as Miles gets better, his frame rate increases. I don't know of any other movie that's done this. Me neither, it, that's insane. It's so great. And this is, goes ties back to what you're saying. We are watching a movie where everybody is at the top of their craft doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing to make this movie as good as freaking possible. Whoever came up with that idea, he said it and everybody in the room went, yeah, that's great, let's do that. <laughs> it's it's great and then we finally get uh, ghost spider shows up i i will state this is an aside that's not related to the movie i think ghost spiders gwen stacy's spider-man costume is the best designed spider-man or su superhero costume to come out in the last oh, 15 for sure. years it's such a great design i love that costume it's i love the hoodie i love the internal spider webbing it's just, it's so good um you know, I, I love I love her introduction for many reasons. I love that I love when she finally yeah, gets please. to tell them her backstory, and uh, it's clear that what she is telling the audience is also what she is saying to them about well, you know, one more time, and then uh, I saved my dad, and I lost my friend, and all these different things. And while Miles is taking all of that in, when she's finally done with her story, all he can think to say is, "I like your haircut," and she's like, "You don't get to like my haircut." <laughs> you don't get to like my another haircut. one of my favorite lines <laughs> in the entire movie was that one right there. Um, and that's the only part that he paid attention to, too, because, you know, puberty and, and such and, and, and all that. Right. One of the things, too, that is so good in, in a lot of these, uh, let's do this one more time, is you're also getting their story arc laid out in this theme. And you're realizing that she's really bad at keeping friends because they keep dying on her. Um and, I, and I, I, I love that scene of them talking on the bus where you've got Peter B. Parker. They're dunking on him, but he's still pretending to be asleep because he knows they need this. Mm -hmm. And that's yep. when you're getting that yep. first, <laughs> this first moment. He's smiling because you're seeing, you're seeing the dad come out of him. And I love it. Like, let the teens have their moment. Even though, One of the so. big themes of him not being confident that he wants exactly. to have children. He makes that very clear, and that'll be his big arc throughout the entire thing. Right. Right. And, and, the, and tied up with that is this notion that he needs to be a leader, and he doesn't feel good enough to be a leader, or responsible enough to be a leader, or he's too scared of losing people and having to get over that. And I love it. Yeah, um, and not only that, so the very next thing that happens is this movie also does something that no other Spider-Man movie had done before, which was make Aunt May cool and awesome. Like, the newest Spider-Man yeah. iteration makes Aunt May hot. Okay, I guess we can all appreciate that, her and her relationship with Happy and all those different things, but, like, this one made Aunt May, like, awesome and badass and really right. cool. And, like, oh, a goober? Like, she's... Almost like the like there I feel like every cool like spy movie has like the guy in the van who runs the monitors or like in Matrix it's tank like she's yeah she's universe, Alfred that's I mean, who she is yes exactly Alfred yes that's exactly right but also his mom and it's great now mm -hmm. all right so here we are they go down to the to the shed 
Peter B is having insecurity because he does this is a little much for him. He just had a shed where he stuffed stuff in there and had a futon. Um, <laughs> so we get to meet the other Spider-Man. And, and these ones are going to have less of an arc because, again, you can't have a major arc for seven characters in a movie. But that's okay because they have great personality to them. And you learn their personality very quickly. I find each of them charming and entertaining. Nicolas Cage as as uh, this neo-noir Spider-Man who likes egg creams and every word that comes out of his mouth is hysterical. Um, oh, the, yes. We'll get to him a lot later just because I yeah. loved... The, I, I had to, like, screen capture exactly what he said to Tombstone because he said it so fast, but I, and I didn't quite catch it. When so he's, he's fighting him? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you got Nick Cage as, like, Spider-Man noir, and you have... Uh, I can't think of his last name all of a sudden. I wanted to say John Hamm, but that's not correct. But Spider Hamm. Oh no! It's is, uh, yeah, no, it's um John Mulaney. Jo- yeah, jo- uh, played by John Mulaney, who even gets his own like little arc of like you know, from the Saturday morning cartoon to like the seriousness stuff of life. And then you have uh, Penny Parker, who's played by uh, Kimiko Glenn, who's actually one of my sister's friends and used to come over to our house growing up. I had to drop that. I'm sorry, I won't do that I again. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, she's she's been in a bunch of stuff, and like my sister was an Asian club at in high school at Desert Vista, and one of the girls there, well, several of them are now in the film industry. One's like a camera operator, and then like Kimiko just was one of them who just like come and spend the night, and like she was just always at our house, and I never really thought about it until like she became kind of a movie star, and then that's a whole other thing. That's but, fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Um, and then, yeah, but the, so they all have like little things and like they're all animated, like also uniquely and different. And, um, and they really put it on miles so hard and so fast. Yes. Right. And, and it's, so I, I like this juxtaposition where the four of them think he's not ready. But Peter B. Parker keeps trying to convince them that he can do it. He really wants to believe in this kid and get him ready. And so you... you oh, really quick, before we move on to this fight, I did make a note. I love that Miles, the, the moment when he's looking at the suits and he's looking up and his reflection is not meeting the, the height. Yes, that's a great detail. It's a great detail, which, again, will pay off later. Um... But anyway, so we have this fight. He goes back. He discovers his uncle is... Um, can't think of the villain name, but the bad guy. Um, and we get this fight in <laughs> Prowler. Queens. Prowler, thank you. This fight in Queens should be taught as how to do action. I hate movies where action mm-hmm. is just something that's happening. I want The action should move the story forward. It should tell you something about your characters. The way they're fighting teaches you who these characters are. They're all fighting differently. They're all being animated differently. They all have a different art style from a different universe. And they're all doing things very Mm -hmm. uh, particular to their genre. You were saying Spider Noir with the way he was talking. Now, do you have that all written down? So I had the one particular one that I have written down is him versus Tombstone. When he goes, you're going to fight or are you just flapping gums, you hard-boiled turtle slapper? Like, I even Googled it wrong and Google corrected <laughs> me. Like, little things like that. You could... Oh, man. It's just one of those things, like, they, they, they taught me... I would say they taught us in all my screenwriting classes that the script that you are writing, even your minor characters, an actor, 
who you might be trying to get for your film is going to read your script and they're only going to read their lines to see what they're going to get paid to say. And this is an example where like every person's lines were scrutinized so well where it was just actor bait galore for every single person that took on the role. Yes. That was definitely one of them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because it, it is written to, to the characters so beautifully well that the actors just can't help but enjoy what they're saying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, I love this fight. Um, it 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 teaches us a lot about these characters. But the 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 arc that is going through this fight, the thing that is moving the story forward, is you're watching Peter Parker realize Miles is not ready for this. Yeah, and a lot of the danger that they're all in is because he's not good at what he's doing. He's putting them all in danger. Um, he's lacking the confidence to get these things there. And, and again, you're seeing that father struggle, right? He wants to push him, but he's not ready. He wants to be ready, but he isn't. And, and I love it. Yeah. Have I said that enough that I love this movie? I love this I, movie. I, you haven't, I don't think you've said it enough uh, for the record. And one other thing I wanted to throw about Spider-Man Noir is when he punches Tombstone in the end, the word behind him says applesauce. <laughs> it's just like one additional random thing was just like the words that they chose for that man are ridiculous <laughs> but it fits that's great mm-hmm. one of my favorite shots in that fight has got to be where Aunt May is, is framed in the center as the four box panels are going all around her she's watching the villains break her house and then it cuts to spider ham breaking a plate just for the hell of breaking a plate <laughs> um, yeah no, I, I never I, caught that good. that's awesome it's good, it's good. So, yeah. Yeah. But we have so to we hang get, on that scene for Miles. just a minute because the uncle, yeah, the uncle oh right, right, stuff, yeah, when when they're on the roof, um, I wrote this down because the first time I saw this movie, I had made this note about how incredibly creative the character choice for him was when Miles is on the roof and he realizes who it is, and Kingpin is calling him and saying, you know, what are you waiting for? Just do it. I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I'm wrong about this. I thought he was pulling down the Spider-Man mask on Miles to make it easier to kill him. But I think upon that rewatch... That is not my impression. Correct. Upon rewatch, I'm like, oh, he's doing it because he's proud of who he is because he then says like that insanely amazing line of, you are the best of us, you're on your way, and then, you know, then he dies. But, like, the first time I saw this movie, I that's what I thought was happening because, like, it sent shivers down my spine. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's trying to make him look like Spider-Man so that it's easier to kill him. But now I'm like, oh, no. He was doing that because he was proud of him. So, like, that was my own misunderstanding of so, that whole sequence. Well, let, no, I, I don't think you misunderstood. I think they wanted you to think that for a moment. Yeah. I think they wanted you to think that for a moment. But then the next moment, you, you're supposed to realize that he's pulling his foot down to protect him. Because he knows that he can't be seen as Spider-Man. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay. So he lifts Man. his hands up, and it's it's like... I think you read it right the first time, but I think it's you're supposed to fear that he's getting pulling it down so he can kill him easier. So many layers in the eye, but it, but then you realize that no, he's protecting him. Love it. And okay, he, yeah, just had to get that away, out. and and you, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so it's the animation is so good. The facial expressions, the little details, the yes. <sighs> and watching watching Miles's dad discover that his brother is dead. It's really heart-wrenching, right? Because you know that he has issues with his brother, but you can see the pain in his face. And I, I, I want to say the acting in the animation is incredible. 
Yeah, and um, it, it once again is one of those misunderstandings things where you know in uh, Spider Man One when Toby, the Toby One when when Green Goblin dies and he lays him down and. Uh, Norman sees his dad dead and he thinks Spider-Man did it so he has this whole arc now about revenge against Spider-Man well then you have that mm-hmm. misunderstanding again with Uncle Aaron and then like the brother and, and the fact that his brother's had hard times and he understands all those things but then like it looked to him again like Spider-Man had killed this person so there is like that misunderstanding again so we get that wonderful trope all over again right. Ugh. But I think it's even better than before right because yeah. in Spider-Man 2 I kept wanting to say Tobey Maguire to just say just tell him You can reasonably have this conversation with your friend. But Miles, through the narrative they set up, cannot tell his father this. His father has been established as hating Spider-Man and wanting Miles to be great. And if he knows that Miles has taken this pathway, Miles is terrified that he's going to lose the love of his father. Mm -hmm. And that dichotomy works so well. Um, Yes. Okay, so we have the sequence. Miles is where they basically tell Miles that he's not coming, right? That he's not ready. They and it's it, it's a heartbreaking scene, and and also you're seeing here where Peter B. Parker is saying, "I'm going to be the one to stay behind and blow up the reactor," and I think it's important to realize this. I was going to say it earlier. I lost track of it because of eight thousand things in this movie that are brilliant and I want to talk about, but despite all of his disillusionment with being a hero, he is still a hero because he needs to be. Yes. Right? And he's willing to die to save everybody else. So his flaw is not that he's not heroic. It's that he's lost the love of it and has pushed everybody out of his life as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going off to die, effectively. I mean... But we get this line. This is where the best theme in the whole movie that really you can tape around every other character's arc is that it takes a leap of faith to do the right thing. You're never doing the right thing because you know the outcome. You're having every time you exercise virtue, you are taking a leap of faith. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Yes, it is. And that's, you know, and we, I mean, we, I feel like when Miles is actually like, a, you know, being Spider-Man and he takes that leap of faith, I just know that like somebody, whoever did the, like the cinematography was just like, oh yeah, this is going to be somebody's wallpaper on their computer for years to come. Like that moment where he's upside down and New York is right. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and okay. So that moment where he's on the top of the skyscraper, we've already established that he's afraid of heights to a mm-hmm. certain degree. Did you have you noticed? Somebody pointed this out to me. I can't remember who pointed it out to me. When he jumps off the skyscraper, what happens? The glass breaks from the window. Because he's scared, he can't let go. Oh, that's good. He's pulling the glass with him. He is forcing himself off of that skyscraper. He's truly making a leap of faith because he cannot relax his hands to let go of it. Gosh, it's so good. And then we have that wonderful parallel as he's falling. And before he was falling down, screaming, ah, now he's falling up, screaming, woo. And, <laughs> and it's, it's through that act of the leap of faith, he is, finds the confidence. Right. So the confidence comes after the leap of faith, not before it. He takes the leap of faith and he finds his confidence in it. It's, this is, this, this is what you want in every kid's movie. You want a kid's yeah. movie that makes all the grown-ups cry 
and teaches kids how to be virtuous. And it's I I I will never tell my kids no if they want to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We should talk a moment about his dad talking to him through the door. Oh right? my gosh. It's, it's as a father, it speaks to me because I feel my calling to teach my kids to be strong. But also that it's my part, it's my job to be vulnerable with him. And I love seeing that in his father, where the father recognizes he doesn't know everything that he's doing. He's such a good father, even in his flawedness. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I th- it was because, you, th- you know, you're, you're trained in writing to think like, okay, you have this moment where it's like the dark night of the soul. And then you have this moment where it's like all hope is lost because the hero can't do anything. And then like you have the moment with the dad where it's like, okay, all hope is lost. And I feel really awful at the same time. But what he's doing, and again, I apologize for the helicopter because I live by an airport. Every episode. What he's doing there is he is giving his son the love that he needs, the safety net of love that he needs to go make the leap of faith that he needs to do. Mm. Yes. It's great. It's great. It's great. So we get to the, the sequence. I, I love the, the benefits for, uh, for Peter Parker and everybody's dressed like Spider-Man. The bread sequence with Mary Jane is hysterical. Um, I love Gwen Stacy's punchline there that you okay because we're not bringing any bread. <laughs> Even though, <laughs> um, yeah. So when Miles shows up, they're having the fight over the collider. I did. I love that when Miles shows up, the first thing that's said is Liv looks at him and says, Spider-Man? And that's the moment we get, he's Spider-Man now. It's happened. We're good. We've done this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole sequence plays out in this wonderful action sequence that is animated to perfection, that is colorful to a fault, not to a fault, the opposite of that, colorful to the point of stunning gorgeousness. <laughs> uh, and the entire time you're just getting these characters that are bouncing off each other in this beautiful way. And you're oh watching gosh, Peter yeah. B. Parker learning to lead a team and realizing that you. he's Do I want really kids? damn good at it. Right. He loves somebody, and he's good at it. Despite how much he doesn't want to be good at it, he is good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gwen recognizing how good it is to have a friend, uh, and Miles kind of pulling them all together around this cause, and I, I think it's great. I love seeing him express his uncle as he whoops uh, Kingpin with a hay on the shoulder, I love watching his father recognize the the nuances of his position where he's a man of the law, but he's still people doing virtue need support, even if you don't agree with their methods. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the collider sequence, you have that payoff of don't watch the mouth, watch the hands. Like you get that moment where, um, when Spider-Man's noir said, I love you all. I'm taking this cube thing with me. Like I realize, like I cannot pick a favorite of all these spider people because they're all amazing in their own unique way. I love the way that spider ham is like, here, take this hammer. If it's in your pocket, like it probably won't. I don't think it will. Although if they, that's all movie, that would be amazing. Um, and I think, if I had to pick a favorite moment in the whole movie, it's probably the moment where um, Miles is holding Peter B. Parker by the chest because he, you know, tripped him up, which he did not see. Um, when he, when Miles kind of becomes the mentor at the end, he's like, "How do I know it's going to be okay?" He's like, "You don't it's just leap of faith," and you see Peter B. Parker visually relax 
that was his way of saying like he's not gonna fight Miles. Right, anymore. right. His body. And, and yeah. I wrote shit. This is a great fucking character arc in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> It well, no one's is. Top it, <laughs> it is. It's so good. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, 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 oh yeah, yeah. So one of the things I noticed in this movie uh, or this watching is Peter manages to get the panel with the needs the USB drive off easier than the first Peter Parker again because he's been doing this so long and he doesn't mm-hmm. get it wrong which side it goes in. Be, the thing that makes it hard to get the USB stick in this is because he's being choked to death by Liv. I mean, it's all just flows back. I love the moment with with Miles and his dad at the end. Um, I love Miles falling down the roof as he's showing off to the crowd. It's, I don't know. I love the whole thing. Yeah, man. I think Even the, the fact that he correct. says, like, I love you to his dad, but he has to be Spider-Man in order to kind of say it in a way. Like, I, I like that, that little payoff for him because yeah. he finally does tell his dad, like, very plainly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> Yeah, and then we I, get to do this thing one more time, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie ends. Yeah, um, I will. All say right, there's other stuff the I want to talk about. Have, but tell me, I, yeah, go with, ahead. With with the uh, the ver- I watched the streaming version, which was on FX, and it is free to stream right now. If anybody wants to stream it, um, they they cut out the end credit, the little. Um, the little tasty Easter egg at the very, very, very end, right before you know you go back to the DVD menu. Spider Man ninety nine. The one with uh, where they point at each other, like it pays off that meme. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. not. Which, yeah, if you watch the streaming so version, great. that's not in there. <laughs> so I was a little disappointed. But so we're talking about Oscar Isaac's character. Yeah. Yeah. I can't absolutely. wait to see the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. So here's the th- and the credit sequence is a banger. I mean, that is so much fun watching all the Spider-Man dance to the music. Um, <laughs> So we've talked about this movie, and we've talked a little bit about the animation, but it's one thing to have a movie where the script is perfect and builds upon itself, and there's so many other ta- callbacks and tie-ins and, and things that I'm forgetting that uh, you, you just you can watch this movie over and over and find more beauty to it. But we really haven't talked about the fact that this movie looks like nothing else that's ever been made. Yes. So they wrote a perfect script, and then they slapped on it, just unbelievable animation brilliance. We mm. talked about the frame rate, but the, just the look of it itself. It is this wonderful amalgamation of this CG with these filtered layers of color and pop and vibrancy that I don't know a movie that... I, I feel like if we're, if we're talking, I don't think it's hyperbole to say this movie is to animation what Star Wars was to special effects. Yes. This, I think this movie is going to inspire people for decades. I think we've already seen it. I haven't watched all, uh, any of it yet, but I think you can see it's already inspired the animation style like Arcane on Netflix. Yeah. People realize that it, they don't all have to look the same. We can be creative. We've now mastered the technology. Now we get to pour art into it. Mm-hmm. Yes, well and it, said. I'm so excited for I'm so excited for the future of animation, and I think a lot of credit should be given to this movie for pushing it forward because it's stunningly beautiful. Yeah, the the sequence of of Spider-Man being dragged behind the train in the snow and the colors, very many of those those stills on the wall. I'll put it up in a heartbeat. <laughs> Thanks, New York. 
Uh, yeah, I, well, yeah. well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I will give some. Uh, I saved some headlines from our uh, dash movie details. Just some things that we may have missed, uh, just regarding this film. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did not notice. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, when Miles is shown his test, he wrote Decemberary as the month that he took the test in <laughs> to show that he actually was stupid. Um, you have this moment where there's literally one frame. When Miles like is singing his, he's upside down. He's like, "What helps you relax?" And he sings the song. There's one frame where his eyeballs do pop out of his head. I thought that one was absolutely crazy. The craziest one that I found. This is and this is the smallest of small details. And I know that there are there are people who are font nerds, which I will put the papyrus uh, joke in the show notes just because it's one of my favorite Saturday Night Live sketches. But somebody noticed that in alternate New York they use a different type of typeface rather than Helvetica for their subway system. Like something as incredibly tiny as I couldn't put a word on it, but (laughs) if you actually, I've gone through and I've paused all the alternate universe sequences and the amount of detail and care they gave to every one of those is above and beyond. It feels like they developed a universe just for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they when when he says leap of faith, he jumps across the building. The building is Trust Us Bank. Like that's the name of the building. I I, I did I actually wrote that one down. That's in my notes. I okay. skipped over it. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, there was a moment where yes. uh, Olivia Octavia says only my friends call me Liv, and when she shows up to Aunt May's house, Aunt May calls her Liv. Almost suggests that they live. could be friends, right? Oh so, no, I never put that together. Yeah. Oh good. I ne- it's I never live. caught that one either. Um the, 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 they made a point to make sure that Penny Parker's mouth doesn't quite match up with what she's saying because the anime character is clearly being dubbed over in English. Um, right. There's, there's so, that, that's so many. That's attention to detail. Um, but one of my favorites is when Peter B. Parker mentions how his favorite burger joint closed down six years ago in his world. It is likely due to the fact that the window in the New York that they're in now has a C health and safety rating. Ha! Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> The little things. Uh, I don't so know little... why though, but yeah. Uh, oh. Um. Uh, my train of thought derailed by all the greatness. Yeah. There's something I was gonna say, and I'm sure it was fascinating. But really, at the end of the day, you should just watch this movie like 18 times. Because yeah, like like if you it. haven't seen this, you totally have to freaking see this movie. Like for crying out loud, folks! If if Brandon loves it this much, and I love it this much, like you've got to see this one if you haven't seen this one. Uh. Anything else, Brendan? Any other gushing? I, lo- I love this movie more and more every time I see it. I'm, th- th- that's the thing is there's oh that, that's what I want to talk about. So there's a news article this week where um, uh, Miller and Lord were talking about how uh, the movie tested so poorly with audiences at the first screening. What? <laughs> I know, and they said they retooled so much of it after they had already made it. And it just goes to show, you never know what you're making. You never Seriously. know if it's going to be good or bad. You're telling me just that the guys, who made, the guys who made Bronte Sisters Power Dolls, you mean they tested poorly the first time? <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that we'll put in the show notes. Oh, my goodness. What did you think of that, by the way? He shared it with me. I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I immediately saved it to my YouTube funny playlist. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, Lauren was with me giggling like an idiot about it. Really, <laughs> uh, yeah. It'll be in the show notes. You should check it out. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, no, I... It's a great movie. It, it's a movie that gets better every time I watch it. And 
And I don't know of any other movie that is so beautifully crafted in so many ways. Mm -hmm. It's, it's stunning. It's a stunning work of filmmaking. As good as you've heard it is, it's better because it just, it, yeah, it gets better every time I watch it and I will probably see it many more times. There is a decent chance this will be the mo- movie I see m- the most in my lifetime just given the frequency <laughs> with which my kids turn it on and I can't oh. help but sit down and watch it. Oh my goodness. Well, you you rest easy and know that of all the Spider-Man movies that exist, this is number one on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the one where both audience and critics agree like this is the best Spider-Man movie. It deserves it. Yeah. It's it's great. Oh, it's great. Well, uh if you could give me a number between 1 and the record now, 1176. Ooh. Let's go 642. Six hundred and forty-two in there. Oh my goodness. Alright. It this list is so long, it is literally slowing my computer down. But number six hundred and forty-two, I am going to butcher the hell out of this name, but the name is spelled U-R-O-S space s-i-m-i-c so euros simic who uh worked on this film uh euros was a senior lighting technical director for sony pictures image works um the credits for this person <laughs> are a very director deep. yeah a senior lighting and com- uh, no, compositing no senior what is it senior lighting technical director uh so you must be he, working in digital lighting in this then Oh, goodness. Euros has worked on Furious 7, Alice Through the Looking Glass, uh, Smurfs the Lost Village, The Meg, Mortal Engines, uh, Jumanji the Next Level, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Over the Moon. I don't think I know what that is. I don't either. Well, there we go. Uh, But excellent work. (laughs) Uh, If you ever find your way to this podcast, which I'm 90% sure that this language isn't yours, uh, we we, want to say thank you because because of you and your lighting direction and the fact that you were a senior telling me that you've had experience with this for many years, uh, you helped run a department to make sure that the lighting was as amazing as it is. So Eurosimic, thank you so much for working on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Thank you for bringing me to the level of joy that you did, which is exceeding. Yes, indeed. <sighs> All right. And now for the my favorite, favorite time of the show, it's time for you to say something nice about a movie numbered one through three. Hmm. One. Oh, okay. I'm glad I mixed the order up. Please say something nice about an actor in this movie who was also in something called Lord of War. All right. I barely remember Lord of War. I just remember leaving the theater and being very angry about it. So, all right. Something nice about a movie. I barely remember, but only recall not liking. Um, I thought the color grading was interesting. (laughs) That was when color grading (laughs) was first coming into the forefront (laughs) of film. And I remember the orange hues to represent you were in some place hot was effective. It was good color grading. Wow. Well, that's something I, I saw this in say. theaters. This is one of the first R-rated movies I was allowed to go see in theaters. 
So. I remember seeing this, and, and like you, I remember virtually nothing about it. I just remember that Jared Leto was in it, who's going to be Michael Morpheus coming <laughs> up in a, in a movie that Didn't know that. it to be. <laughs> but, uh, gosh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a, a, a movie that is actually rated quite high. Goodness gracious. Um, and, yeah, I remember, I remember virtually nothing about this except for, like, the cinematography of the trailer. I think they used System of a Down's Lonely Day uh, for a music video, but that's about all I remember of this one. The the opening sequence, The Life of a Bullet, that was a cool sequence. I remember that opening there sequence where you watch the bullet get manufactured. Nice. That was a really that was a really cool sequence. That's right. Okay, YouTube that sequence. I do remember that. Well, we'll post it yep. in the show notes so people can just skip the film and watch that sequence. Good, good, good. Yeah, because oh. the film... It's depressing, but not 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 in a, in a way that adds anything to your life sort of way. I love depressing movies. I found this just gonna be a, yeah, yeah. Great well, intro, he, great intro. Nice things. Yeah, we'll give some points for that one. Um, and since I've given you so much time to talk and and burn yourself out, I will begin with uh, things that I'm consuming Please. and enjoying, just so that you can have a minute to catch your brain um and i will say that i'm enjoying a couple of things right now a couple of board games that i'm really loving right now um i posted this on my facebook today which just goes to show where when we record this episode but my wife and i have played 276 rounds of yahtzee since december (laughs) so we just bought yep so i just bought two more pads of uh, yahtzee paper so that we don't run out um i am currently reading Probably what is going to be my favorite nonfiction book of the year. I'm I'm like ninety percent positive it's going to be my favorite. It is called Breath: The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor, and I am now so insanely paranoid about how I breathe thanks to this book. Um, <laughs> specifically to you, Brendan, I, I cannot I cannot recommend this book enough. I think you will. I am um, aware of the book. I I've been aware of it for some time. Oh okay. Um, I, I I'm thoroughly enjoying the hell out of it. Um, and then I started playing a game recommended by my buddy Adam called Advanced Wars for the Game Boy Advance. Um, this was a game that absolutely 100% passed me by because I don't care so much for tactic video games. Like Final Fantasy Tactics is like the first one that comes to mind where I'm like, this is taking too much time to make a character walk to stand next to yeah. somebody. Like I, I can't stand that, but for some reason, but for some reason, this Little Game Boy game has really been taking my attention away when I need to take a break from work. So that is what I have been consuming and enjoying. What about you? Oh, I lost you. Oh, I was about to say, any, what, are, what about you? What are you enjoying the, at this time? Um, so we finished Peacemaker, and I it's my favorite show in a long time. I really, awesome. really enjoyed Peacemaker. I think the intro is uh, one of the things keeping me going in these dark days is just watching that <laughs> on repeat. Oh. Um, really like that. We uh, we rewatched season one of American Vandal. I think I mentioned that last week. Um, well, it's going to be out of order, so maybe I didn't. Uh, I am finishing my fourth playthrough of Resident Evil 8, there you and go. I will be doing my fifth playthrough this weekend. I love Resident Evil, the modern Resident Evil games especially, because it's one of those where it's so scary the first time, and then you just keep playing it and getting faster and faster at it, so I'm really enjoying that. Um, still now, reading my... Now, real quick, with that Resident go Evil, ahead. is that the one with the Lady Lady Demescu, or is it the... the uh, this is... Yes. Yep. It is the one. Okay, cool, no, that's cool. It. Yeah. Yep. 
so scary the first playthrough. There's a sequence after the castle sequence. There's a sequence in an underground bunker with a yep. monster baby that yep. is the scariest thing I've ever done in a video game. But playthrough oh. four, I've memorized what to do with it. I just turn the sound off and run it without any sound, and it's a lot more bearable. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean oh. that as a high compliment. The the amount of fear that thing induced. It's great. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So re reading my Richard Ayuati book, and uh, again, this is out of order, so you'll hear about that I think next week or the week yes, after. Yes, you will. So yep, whatever. the next week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great. <laughs> and I got a bunch of Batman comics. We're getting ready for for the new Batman movie. Me and the wife are reading those in the evening. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, shoot, that'll do. I love that we're again. I love that we're going over an hour all the time. This is fantastic. I love the longer form ones. So I hope you're on a road trip. If you're listening to us, uh, drop us a line on Facebook. We want to hear from you. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to a really fantastic season. Thank you all so much. And we will catch you in the next one. Love y'all. I don't know why it still takes me time to realize what you're doing, but I still have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs>